Welcome, everyone, to the John Topovich Show. How's it going? (laughs) Uh, I am your host, John Meisberg, and today my guest is Eugene Kappen. Yeah, you said it right. (laughs) Kappen. Uh, He is a social media futurist, public speaker, and new media artist. So um, thanks for being on the show, Eugene. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. I have met him uh, at several virtual reality events around the city. He is um, one of the people to know in that uh, area. Um, And I'm just really excited to be able to talk to him today. This is going to be great. Uh, He's worked with companies such as Microsoft, Skype, Wizards of the Coast, and more. Um, And so I think it would be pretty cool to talk to you about uh, some of the creations that you've worked uh, worked on through your studio, Studio uh, Capin. Do you think you could uh, share some of the the things that you've worked on? Oh, absolutely. Uh, do you have a, a pull-up? Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, so... Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, what? yeah. So, uh, Studio Capin is a XR content creation and animation studio. Mm-hmm. We actually founded the company because we had sold one of the first NVR talk shows to ever be ordered as if it was a TV show. Oh, wow. Uh, it was glitched. It ran for three seasons. Uh, it was me, my show partner, and our manager at the time, Tavis Hamilton, who is now uh, our lead business development guy at Studio Cap'n. We So this is you. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a digital version of me. That okay. is my wait, avatar. Wait, I got to see those. So how did you create a digital avatar of yourself? Uh, so when we sold the show, Topher Welsh and I flew down to California and we got what's called a duplication scan, which is just a fancy word for uh, photogrammetry. Okay. Model. So there's some kind of crazy machine with cameras everywhere. That's right. Okay. So kind of like how they they do a bullet time in the Matrix. Actually, like, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So. Basically, you get into this booth and you have probably 50 to 100 cameras that all take a single photo of you mm-hmm. all at once. And then a team somewhere else takes all those photos, creates a point mesh model system mm. of your body. And then two weeks later, they send you a FBX model wow. of you. And it's all high res and detailed. And, and now, we- now I kind of wish I had lost some weight prior to... <laughs> like, that gut is never going to go away. That is forever etched into my avatar. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, how accurate are these models? Are they like, very accurate? Pretty or? accurate. <laughs> unfortunately. So it's not like when you create like a Nintendo uh, me character and you can kind of embellish like what you want to look like. It's like, no, it's an no, accurate no, that capture. that is me. That is okay. me, my terrible five o'clock shadow. <laughs> I, don't know, I think it's okay. But so, so then you bring in this, this graphic file into, into your show. And then when you move or it, it moves, it responds to whatever you do. Yeah. It's, it's a virtual so, version of you. Yeah. So we did the first season in Altspace, which is owned by Microsoft and Allspace was a, well, is a platform that is just, it's all encompassed. It's, it's all there. Once you log in, you get some very easy styles to like pick for facial features mm-hmm. and body types and everything like that. But high fidelity is a lot more customizable. So what is high fidelity? It's like a uh, competitor. Yeah. So 
Did you ever play Second Life back in the day? I studied it from like an academic perspective, but okay. I didn't actually okay, participate. So the same people that made Second Life made High Fidelity. Okay. Uh, Philip Rosedale and his team uh, basically went, hey, this thing that we wanted with Second Life, VR is now a thing. So why don't we just create a new version of it for people who actually want to do things in virtual reality? And I believe now they're just a meeting platform versus like a, a social platform like it was before. Hmm. Yeah, I think they, they just took a shift. But Interesting. So you're you had the first you had the first, first show to first ever be picked up as if it was a TV show. As if it was a TV show in VR. Yes. And ran for three seasons. That's a that's a pretty great accomplishment. I know that's nobody awesome. Yeah, we got an IMDB credit for it. <laughs> nobody can take that away from us. That's awesome. Like I, I do like to preface that we were not the first like in VR talk show ever. Okay. Uh, there was the Foo Show, uh, which was the number one, like, like on a, what was it? Not Patreon. It was, uh, one of those, like, sites that you raise money on. Oh, GoFundMe? Like, it was like, Go Kickstarter? it was like Kickstarter, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a, a show called Gunther's Universe that was way ahead of its time. And then even before that, he had another show, the guy who runs Gunther's Universe, had a show that was all about politics. Okay. That they performed in VR. Mm -hmm. And it was just this, garage indie startup where he was like doing everything from his van so one of the things i wanted to ask you around this topic is um, when it comes to like creating a show in vr like what are some of the considerations that you have to take in you have to think about that are different from creating a show in like physical reality oh man i guess so, creating the digital yeah, yeah, avatar so, so instead of like location scouting mm -hmm. uh you can just go and create your location if if you're a 3D modeler or, oh, or, or you have those skills, so you can be like, um, I want to have an interview at the Grand Canyon, and you just go build the Grand Canyon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Okay, actually, with uh with our first season on Allspace, we uh we stole Reggie Watts's stage. Oh, you took his uh, background or yeah. modeled it off of it? No, no, no. Uh, so when we when we got picked up by Allspace, mm -hmm. um, we weren't purchased as a season yet. It was all experimental content. And basically, when I jumped into VR, I started following everybody I possibly could inside of the industry. And one of the people I found to follow had just been hired at Altspace to help put together like 16 big shows on their platform. And some of those shows were like Reggie Watts, Justin Roiland, who created this show called Rick and Morty. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though we were just talking about it. All right. Um, Sarah Silverman, Michael Sarah, Tim and Eric had, okay, a, had yeah. a channel called uh, Josh. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great comedians got involved very early. It's yeah. awesome. And then somehow I got <laughs> a meeting. Wow. Uh, I, I think he just like saw that I was following. Went, oh, you have a verified you know Twitter account. You've obviously been doing YouTube stuff mm -hmm. at, at a very high level. I was coming out of working at a YouTube consulting agency called Press Play right after college. And he was like, you know what? You probably would be a really good fit for this. And clearly I was mm -hmm. <laughs> because once Altspace went under financially before Microsoft bought them out, uh, we had, you know, eight episodes of this like in development experimental show that was very much ahead of its time. And then High Fidelity was like, hey, we like your show. Yeah. Which kind of was like, oh, what about everybody else? Oh, we're the low-hanging fruit. 
You, you could probably afford us versus like trying to pay Reggie Watts to produce a show or something, right? I do think that something that you said that this is very forward thinking and ahead of its time is I think that's true. Like this is incredible technology that I think is just being underutilized or under experienced by people because I guess maybe it's just like it hasn't scaled as much as it, it's capable like VR mm. hasn't scaled as much as it's capable of scaling do you think that like maybe in the in the in the near future shows like this will be like the standard or become more I, more incorporated in like oh when my family when they turn on YouTube TV and they go to they're like what channel do I want to watch like they're not thinking what VR channel do I want to watch? But I think maybe that is going to change. So there's definitely some comparisons that we can talk about right now. Um, and YouTube in itself has uh, over 2 billion users a month. And the entry level way to virtual reality, or considered for the most part, the entry way, is 360 video, which YouTube does. Mm -hmm. So already you have over 2 billion people who have access to VR just probably not a VR headset to experience it. So they're experiencing it in dimensionality reduced content, which is just taking something that's in VR, condensing it down to a 360 video, condensing it down to mm -hmm. a 2D view screen. Right? Yeah. And and that's fine. But if we're going to talk about like getting closer to the metaverse, yeah. where that's I think where you're where you're talking about, it's it's going to take some time. Well, uh, there, there's like a lot of hurdles we have to get through right now. Well, I see like some people that experience these 360 videos literally by just taking their finger on their phone or using their mouse to just like move around mm -hmm. and be like, oh, I can move this thing. But that's how they're experiencing it. Like yeah. they're not truly experiencing it the way it's supposed to be experienced, which is putting on a headset and like being there, feeling yeah. like you're there. Like I think... More people need to experience I'm, that. I'm waiting for YouTube to basically pick up like um, interactive null points inside of their 360 videos, so they can like press something and then jump to a different 360 video. Okay, like hyperlinks in yeah, the video. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's what it would be. Okay. Um, YouTube back in the day used to have gamification a little bit in terms of people would do like story modes and Is then be like, if you think. Mm. Ryan should open door one like that or, or pick up his girlfriend's cell phone, you know, press this video like that episode would... of Black Mirror. Do you know what I'm talking about where they did like a choose your adventure? Oh, uh, the... Bandersnatch. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly like that. Okay. Uh, YouTube did it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then before that, it was R.L. Stein or The Simpsons, right? Yeah. <laughs> so YouTube is helping to bring some of this technology uh, to become more mainstream. I guess so is Sony with the PSVR, I guess, because a lot of people have PlayStations mm -hmm. in their home. And so maybe PlayStation, a PSVR is one of the more like seamless ways for them to get into a VR experience because they already have a PlayStation. What does a PSVR cost right now? Do you know? Uh, can we look it up really quick? Yeah, we can. I know we're kind of deviating away from the original question of like, show me all your cool shit. <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay. so, so it looks like uh, a PSVR is two ninety nine. Starts at two ninety nine. So that that is um that's the same price as the Quest Two, right? Yeah. Which is Oculus's newest. You might as well just go and get a you know an all in one VR headset, right? Yeah. So for that price, so I'm. This is this is the one that I was just reading up on, which is like you don't need you don't need a computer to use. Let's see. 
you don't need a computer for this headset. It's all inclusive. Like the computer is in the headset, but you have the option to link it to a computer to get better graphics or something. Mm-hmm. Is that is that how you would describe it? That's exactly how it, I okay. would describe it. Okay. And yeah, it's, it starts at 300. So you think uh, a Quest 2 might be a better option for like a, an introduction? I, I think it really depends on... Because I, you know, PlayStation is going to have, you know, unique content that's going to be separate from, mm-hmm. you know, any VR headset, any exclusives. Yeah, yeah. Any, any sort of gaming device is always going to be having, you know, different sets of content. Yeah. Uh, with an Oculus though, you basically have, um, access to their entire store, you know, all the Facebook stuff coming out. And then if you really want to get into it, I know there are some hackable ways to get VR content from steam onto it mm-hmm. kinda, so kind of like yeah kind of like uh like re- like revive back in the day yeah yeah okay and there's so many that's some that's one of the things that was kind of complicated for me when i was doing research for this uh episode is that you know, the last time i looked at vr headsets there were only like a few viable options and now it looks like there's like five or six different like decent headsets out there every year it's gonna get upgraded yeah and it's like as a consumer i would probably if i didn't know that much i'd be like which one should i get and we don't have to get into this now but i've just like it's i think more work needs to be done so that the consumer doesn't have to think and they can just be like this is like when 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 a nintendo switch comes out everyone's like that's what obviously you get you gotta get the nintendo switch it's like okay you get it (laughs) it's like there's no thought i think like the more vr can get to something like that or it's like this is the thing get the thing I'm like okay you're waiting for the uh the killer app <laughs> yeah is basically what's happening and then you're identifying which headset the killer app is actually yeah. on don't make me think just let me have the tell me this is the, the thing to get and all the kids want to do this thing and then i'm good i i really think it comes down to what do you want to use vr for uh-huh if so like uh my roommate lost 60 pounds playing vr was it uh beat saber no no, no. it was um <laughs> It was Pavlov, I think. What's that? Oh, it's like a shooting game. Oh, let me look that up. Pavlov VR. Like the dog? Yeah. Looks a little bit like Counter-Strike. Yeah, but the difference between this and Counter-Strike, if you want to crouch, you have encounter, to you actually have to crouch, right? Versus mm. like pressing a key. So apparently he was doing like 500 squats a night <laughs> playing this game. Interesting. I wonder if there's... Here, here we go. Let's see an example. A good old PewDiePie. Here we go. Oh. Going through the walls. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you get way more into it when you're um in VR. You're, you bend down to bend down. You yeah, I, your your body is the controller. Yeah, I played some kind of zombie shooting game like this in VR, but I forget what it was called. And I, and I remember afterwards feeling like I got in somewhat of a workout. But I've seen some people that have uh, said that uh, they, they do a lot of Audio Shield or Beat Saber, and they mm-hmm. they said that's a decent workout too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he he upgraded to uh to Beat Saber, and that's how he works out. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to lose weight, get a VR headset. Because <laughs> it encourages you to move. You know, it's kind of like I personally am a big fan of Dance Dance Revolution. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's a game that I can get really into. And then, you know, 30 minutes, an hour goes by. And I'm like, wow, I just burned a thousand calories. And I was having a lot of fun. And I wasn't even thinking about the workout. Whereas, like, if you go for a run around your block, you know, the whole time I'm just like, I hate this. <laughs> well, where you're just like in your head and you're like, man, this sucks. Yeah, it, it's just not very distracting. And so I think it's nice to be able to have like, if you're doing a VR experience that takes your mind off of the, the work involved of exercise and you're having a lot of fun, then maybe you're, you'll be more likely to, to do it and make it a habit and mm-hmm. do it over and over again. That's cool. Tell me about Mario. 
this Mario thing. I think the people that are watching the stream have to see this because I I saw this and I was like, how did I how did I miss this? I didn't <laughs> actually. I think I saw this come out a long time ago when it when it first came out, and I didn't know you made it. I didn't know oh. that this was you. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is amazing. So like nine million people have seen this. Yeah, that's really that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, and they I think more people should see it. It's, so this is a a 360 video. Is that yeah, correct? this is the 360 uh, recreation of the very first level of Super Mario. For the NES. This is like super nostalgic for all of us 30-something-year-olds that got this when it first came out. I So there's so I was watching this talk by uh, Cinosaurus mm-hmm. at After Effects Seattle, and they talked about how do you make a video go viral? That's and cool. <laughs> it, what? I, I'm all yours. Let's hear yeah. this. <laughs> and this. So there's basically like four different elements to, okay. to making a video go viral. Okay, One is notes. timing, which is like, so say like the Oscars are coming up, right? Yeah. Uh, if you start making Oscars content right before the Oscars, people are going to start tuning in because they get excited for the specific event that happens every single year. Mm-hmm. And because you know that it's coming up that's called flagpole content because you're like there it is let's go make it and it's probably going to do better than a lot of my other videos the second thing is it would be fandom right how many people already like it so if you're into star wars or mario or disney there are huge fandoms that people are like that looks amazing i want to watch that because that has piqued my interest like, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to capitalize something that has already been built, which is great. Uh, the third thing is um, quality. So it actually has to be good. Like, you're not just making content and then using a really good thumbnail or a really good title. Because if those things are great, people click into the video and then they can't understand your audio. Or the lighting is terrible or... It's a wonky composition as far as like your camera placement. Yeah. They're going to turn off right away. Yeah. You're going to lose that watch time and no one's going to want to watch your video. Isn't part of that, um, isn't part of how that works is people assume like if there's something wrong with the quality of what they're looking at, then they probably, they don't really trust that anything else is going to be right. It's kind of like how um, musicians would do this thing. I forget what, there was a band that did this thing where like they would put in their contract to only have like green M&Ms in the studio. And if they showed up to the studio before a show and there was other colors in the bowl other than the green M&Ms, they knew that they didn't follow the instructions for all the other things that they wanted to happen uh, before their show. So it's like, it was an indicator that like, it's not going to be good. So like, maybe like we... We make these uh, assumptions that are like, oh, if somebody has a misspelling here or the lighting's wrong or the audio sounds bad, that like the rest of it probably won't be good. <laughs> I, I think writers for, uh, for artists is just nothing more than a power play. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's, that's the theory but, I've heard. That's a really good theory, though. <laughs> Uh, and then the fourth thing would be... Sorry uh, for the tangent. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> then the fourth thing in the quadrant would be... Um, marketing like actually spending the time to take your video put it into places so like if you're capitalizing on fandom you're probably going to go into a bunch of facebook and reddit groups and post that video there yes because it's related to the people that you know Mm -hmm. are actually part of those groups sure and maybe encourage them to share it in some way or something yeah yeah i mean if if you're about like food you might join a 
a Facebook group called uh, Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit. <laughs> bon uh, well, you've definitely accomplished your uh, viral marketing campaign because you know you're you're close to 10 million views on this video. So congratulations! Thank you. And it's very well deserved. This is a really interesting um, experience. I'd love to try to experience this in, with a headset on, so I could like look around and you know put on. I could have a Mario hat upstairs. I could put on and just kind of like. <laughs> pretend i am him really into it just like uh lower my lower the back of my pants a little bit so i can have a plumber butt crack (laughs) (laughs) this is really cool all right i uh i tried to produce one of these um so we just got this major sponsorship from a company called puget systems okay and they hooked us up with an eleven thousand dollar render pc wow so i'm trying to get a video like this out every 30 to uh 45 days okay how long how long does something like this take to render? Uh, like a month. <laughs> a, a month for a minute long clip. Uh, under like three minutes. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, here here's the thing. So we like um, when we did the Pac Man video, uh-huh. it was taking uh on our computers probably eighteen minutes a frame. With the render PC, it was taking about thirty seven seconds a frame. Whoa. So whereas it took us six months to render it out, this right here, it would have taken about four days on the super pc and then we could have moved on we could have got into the next thing this is like a haunted circus yeah i took uh <laughs> oh shit <laughs> yeah, i took pac-man's level and I turned it into a haunted house and you're trying to get around all the ghosts put it out for halloween oh fun or intended to put it out for halloween and then rendering took forever i yeah i'm hoping that like in the future they can figure out how to um give us the ability to render uh, VR experiences in a shorter amount of time would probably allow for content creators to, you know, create more when you're the bottleneck is the the to- the processing time involved, you know, and the cost involved. You, know, you say it costs what eleven thousand dollars for a render PC. For a render PC, you know, if you could, get it down there. Well, it's kind of like think about three D printers. How like the price drops so substantially, and now like I have tons of friends that have them, and I think it's like it allows more people to get involved and try take a shot at like making their own stuff mm-hmm. i think price and uh the the speed to these machines can create these experiences i think will all help with the industry growing i'm also looking into like uh real-time animation okay uh i i think that's gonna help with everything so i'm looking into like unreal and what it would take to actually produce 360 animated films through Unreal. The Unreal Engine. Yeah. Which is, that is, um, it's, it's like... It's, it's a game engine. A game engine. But it has yeah. um, a bunch of cinema tools now. Okay. So they've been working on adding like... Did you ever see the un- the newest Unreal demo? Mm-mm. Should I pull it up? Oh my gosh. It's it's amazing. Um, en- uh, Is it Engine 5? I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think 5. so. 4. Wait, wait, is this for Tomb Raider? No, it wasn't for Tomb Raider. It was just for like it looks a demo. like it looks like Tomb it was Raider. very Tomb Raider esque. I did see this actually, but I'll show it anyway. I, I didn't know it was Unreal. Yeah, I saw this because uh, I was researching the PS5 and trying, and they were like, "This is what the graphics can look like on a PS5," and they were trying to show like how many triangles there are, and I was like, "Wow, that's yeah, the a lot of triangles, point clouds <laughs> for their models and stuff, and getting those very uh, realistic PBR textures in there." It just looks amazing. I know. Looks so real. I feel so spoiled. <laughs> like the kids growing up right now are so spoiled. They have no idea like how bad we had it. <laughs> like, 
so never they're never gonna know they're just gonna be like this is just how it is i but like this isn't this is like video games to a whole nother level i actually didn't have a game system until i was 18 really yeah what was your first game system uh i bought a used ps2 okay Oh, I'm yeah. B- both my parents are doctors, and they were like, "You need to go to med school." And uh-huh. I was like, "I want to be a YouTuber." And my That's... mom like cried for three days. <laughs> what they should have done <laughs> is like rewarded studying with video game time. That's what my my parents were like. Okay, you can you can have you can play this game for an hour if you do X. Like they used it as like the carrot kind yeah. of thing. But but now parents are like, "No, you need to play your video games a lot because <laughs> that kid made three million dollars playing <laughs> Fortnite." <laughs> I know, in some of these kids that are making these little like video uh, they're making kid content on youtube tv and they're like mm-hmm. making millions of dollars from all these little videos like showing toys and it's, it's a weird world we live in now where like i think it's fantastic i mean it's great <laughs> but it's like it definitely has like proven to the previous generations that they're wrong about how you can create value in society is you, you can you don't just have to be a doctor or a lawyer you can be a content creator that helps people experience new things and and there is value in that, and that the market will reward that if if you can do it in a in a, a way that's uh, unique to to what people see. I guess I don't I, know. I think that's where my whole mission to try to get like the metaverse up and running and people doing things inside of like. So, so wait, we, what what do you mean by the metaverse? I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. So, um, the metaverse is the eventual replacement of the internet. Oh. Really? (laughs) This is news to me. Okay. Okay. So, like, this is the whole thing about, like, the VR industry. Um, We're trying to be... Like, did you ever see the movie Ready Player One? Um, I really have wanted to, but I have not. A lot of people told me I would really like it. But I think the gist of it is that... I think you would love it. The gist of what I've heard is that, like, people, they put on the VR headset, but they also have, like, the bodysuit where, like, everything... They can experience all the senses, right? Mm -hmm. But it's more than that? Uh, Yeah, so... Basically, in in the movie, you have one central video game world that is all interconnected with smaller worlds within it. Hmm. And in Ready Player One, it was called the Oasis. Okay. In the real world, in Meat Space, with you and me, we call that the Metaverse. Okay. And basically, we're working right now to get virtual reality to a level where it functions as if you were on the internet. Hmm. So you would put on your VR headset, your gloves, your haptic uh, suit, mm-hmm. and then you would go to the library. No, I wouldn't go to the library. <laughs> well, I mean, Even, but, I would, I'd probably or, check or Facebook. Like, <laughs> or like the VR version of the library, right? Uh-huh. Where you show up, you go to a kiosk, you ask for a book, and... 10,000 versions of that book shows up and mm-hmm. then you're like, I want the level version. Okay. And then you can load it around you almost like a holodeck. So it's just basically like, it's like our world, a virtual world that's layered on top of this world is like what the the meta metaverse? Uh, so so when we talk about XR as a whole or, or extended reality, uh, we break it up into a couple of different categories. Okay. Virtual reality is when you are visually and ba- basically you have a virtual version of the world that you've been teleported into. If you want an overlay of the entire world around you while you interact with it, that's augmented reality. I have a graphic we can show for this. Something like that. So with augmented reality, it's you're taking in visual and auditory and GPS location information, and then you're having some sort of visual or auditory or some sort sort of sense manipulation. Like uh, like, like Pokemon Go. 
Yeah. Where you can see the po- like the Pikachu over your toilet or on the, in the yard and you're like, oh, throw the ball. And you c- it's like a mix of the two. Yeah. Now it's a now it's AR. But when it first launched, it was like it was fake VR or AR. OK, it, w- it wasn't real. It was using the gyroscope in your phone versus okay. actually tying to the information that your camera was reading. Oh, OK, uh, they fixed that since. But what I'm really waiting for is called Lord of the Ring view. Lord of the Ring view. Yeah. What's that? It's where you put contacts in and then it reads all the information around you huh. and then it overlays basically graphics that match one to one to make it look like you're in Lord of the Rings. Oh, like a, like a user interface or something. No, user interface. No, so so like instead of this being a white table, I would look at it and it would be like solid wood with engravings and stuff. And and these, it, w- it would look absolutely real to us. But these would be things that you would decide on a computer somewhere and then you could program it? Or like, why would it change to be Well, that? it would automatically do it. It would pick up the visual information that you would see within your lenses. Mm-hmm. And then it would automatically change it. But it's so changing you would, it based on what, though? Like decisions that you've made? No, no, no. It, so or? you would run a program. Okay. Okay. That so makes you would sense. have a program that basically goes, this is a table, this is a chair, this is a computer screen, mm-hmm. this is a keyboard these are cameras and yeah. then change it to whatever that world would be so how far off are we from that kind of technology not in our <sighs> lifetime 20 years oh in our lifetime yeah. i think 20 wow. years okay cool yeah uh i'm waiting for like 6g to become a thing mm. so with 5g we're looking at um, 100 gigs a second maybe of information being passed in okay um 6g standards haven't been set but i think i but i did the math one time for an estimation mm-hmm. and i got like 32 terabytes a second oh my information. god and at that point it looks very real hmm. yeah our internet is just very primitive at this point and it's also dwarfed compared to other countries like south korea like they we have estonia like, <laughs> yeah like well like we have like the like the way they sell <clears throat> internet in america is like based on like you know they try to charge you for faster speeds but it seems like in other countries, it's just like, no, like we want everyone to have well, yeah, like, the fastest a... speed possible because then it's like the infrastructure that supports all of the th- cool things that we want to sell you while you're using it. It's just like a different man- different philosophy for how we use the internet yeah, here. Yeah, capitalism and neoliberalism has completely <laughs> failed us in that department. It's really a shame because, you know, you want to make America great again. I think just give us the fastest internet possible for everyone. That would be a g- great start. Right. Thing. Make it a utility. It should be a utility. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I mean, some people I mean, say like you don't need it to survive, but I feel like, you know, if you take the internet away from me, I feel like very disconnected from my world. And that almost feels to me more important than like electricity. Like, I don't know. Like I, if I had to choose, I, might, <laughs> I guess you need electricity for the internet. But like, if I had to choose, I mean, internet's pretty high well, up there for me. Well, technically it's arguable that you don't need electricity right but so like um humans got by for you know thousands and thousands of years without electricity right i just meant so technically we don't we don't need it to live correct but we figured but we decided to classify it as a utility because it makes everybody's life better Mm -hmm. right and so the same thought process should be applied to the internet i agree yeah I agree. I was just saying that you need electricity in order for your modem and your router to even turn on to get the internet or oh. your phone to be charged to con- like things like that. But it's all kind of like interconnected in that way. But anyway, this is really interesting. So um, contacts. Yeah, I want some of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else can you show me? Um, 
Anything else you want to talk about? You want to talk about Pexels? So is this, this is, there is some kind of... um, Stock photography? So I think you you mentioned it to me earlier. There's some, there's some uh, pictures that you took uh, wearing a VR headset. Yeah, so... And and apparently these these photos got used way more than you expected and in ways you did not expect, right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that. So my my ex-girlfriend and I, uh well yeah we went to the commotion labs at the university of washington when it was open and we took this a bunch great. of purposely bad <laughs> stock photography what do you mean be- purposefully bad this like, is great like like i <laughs> i gotta I, I didn't think anybody would use this eugene you gotta own it okay this is a great <laughs> photo <laughs> <laughs> they were meant to be a lot worse oh, okay but anyway so i put this package together i put it out there for free and <laughs> it's just it's it's in like 25,000 websites uh-huh. and blogs and like I had to stop counting. Other stock photography sites stole my photos mm-hmm. to repost on their own site. And so I couldn't even track like how they were being used anymore. I mean, in some ways, that's a compliment. I mean, you created it's, something that everyone wants to use. I mean, that's yeah. nice. And it's like, I guess there isn't a lot of VR stock photography to use in the first place. So they're just like, let's just take what's what someone else has made. They probably owe you some money for that, though, right? Well, no, I put them out for free because oh, okay. I was like, "Hey, you okay. know, have at it." I should have. Um, well, I think I think several people have like tipped me for, okay. uh, for them before. Well, now you're the guy. Maybe maybe I, round two of your stock photography, you can uh, you charge can for put it on Getty Images or something and try to make some money. <laughs> Be like, "Hey, Adobe I'm stock. I'm the guy now." I unintentionally became like the face of virtual reality to some degree. And it's, I don't understand this one though. Like, why would you be? <laughs> that, no, that was my point. Like, like that's part of the joke. <laughs> I think we could take this a step further and even find create some more scenarios that are just like ridiculous. Like, here's a good one: driving a car, <laughs> uh, driving a car, riding a horse, flying a plane, shopping, <laughs> anything that you could kill somebody doing, pretty much. Shooting a gun. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Round two. Round two is going to happen at some point. Or maybe like throwing a baby in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe just a baby doll. Like do, something that do looks you got like a, a baby, baby I can borrow? I do, but I think I might get in trouble letting you use it for that reason. <laughs> uh, You're almost there. Just a little bit down. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. And as sidebar, I was doing some research for this episode and I saw someone has created something for the HTC Vive that tracks your tongue. I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, let let me see if I can pull this up. Tongue. I saw it on Reddit and I was like, what the hell? Oh, lip lip tracking. Here we go. Wait, look at this. This little like adapter thing. What? I know. So like if you had something like that, I guess you really could drink a cup of coffee and it would like show up in, in VR. I wonder, like, what would be the purpose oh, of that? I I think this is more for like facial capture, uh-huh. for doing animation. Oh, or like having a virtual avatar. Yeah, which is another topic that, that I wanted to talk to you about. Topic. Yeah, so there's a there's a famous YouTuber that goes by the name of Pokimane. 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 Main. Yeah. Yeah. P o k i m a n e. So it's this girl on YouTube. She's pretty popular uh, streamer gamer. And she uh, introduced something that it, it, she's not the first person to do this, right? It's like no, it's, no. it's been we, going on for a while. We were doing it in 2016. Yeah. So uh, she's just, um, you know, she's just one of the more um, like 
famous famous people that have said hey you know i'm gonna try this out and and in front of everyone and it's gotten a lot of attention i think this happened maybe like a week or two ago i think i have it somewhere already pulled up too let's see or maybe don't. i don't even understand how this became like a controversy <laughs> so it's a it's a controversy why is it a controversy I, I think a lot of her fans just assumed that she wouldn't be on camera anymore oh like and this, and is this it. would be and like she was like hey i don't want to be me anymore i just want to be a cute anime girl mm. and so this is yeah. it this is so this is you know maybe we should first show what she looks like so here's here's the girl here's the girl and so, yeah, she has a pretty popular ga- uh, stream for gaming. And then, so this is her uh, VTuber. So VTuber, since we're like uh, virtual. Virtual YouTubing. Yeah. Basically. But you could use it outside of YouTube. Like you could do this on Twitch. Would that, what would that be called? Virtual Twitching? I, I, w- <laughs> I would just call it VTubing still. Because <laughs> they own it. It's kind of like podcasts from the iPod, but everyone uses the term now. Exactly. Yeah. So this is her character, her virtual character. Um what do you think about this, Eugene? I think she's owning it. I think it's cool that she's doing it. I don't understand why it became such an issue to so many people because mm. this is not a new thing. This, I was, is, this has been done for a long time, and there are several programs you can download for either free or like 15 bucks or something. So are you saying that I could easily do something like this uh, for like an episode of my podcast? To like 100%. for the show and just put a virtual version of me right here and and uh yeah huh that'd be fun to try I mean you can go get a duplication scan <laughs> if you really want it to be realistic uh huh or you can hire a three D does Blue, Cro- does a 3D Blue Cross modeler. what sorry I was gonna say does Blue Cross like cover that is that covered under insurance I, I don't think so <laughs> it sounds like a procedure that it would be covered though <laughs> anyway um I was reading an article about virtual tubing and somebody was saying this woman was saying yeah i'm a a pretty uh popular streamer but the times that i don't go on camera i get about 20 percent less people tuning in so if i'm just if i just do audio and just show the game that i'm playing without me on camera like with my makeup done and the lighting like 20 like 20 percent less people tune in for this girl and she's like the the concept of being a v a, a, a vtuber is that i can on the days that I don't really feel like getting all done up for my stream, I can just put on my virtual tuber uh, avatar and talk and talk. And it's like it lets you have a day where you don't have to be physically present. I thought that was kind of interesting. But I, then that, I, I guess think from a mental health perspective, that's great. Yeah, to give them a break. So in the YouTube world, burnout is 100% real. And there, there are creators who basically get rid of everything else in their life except for trying to make video content. And that's because the entry level for um, being a professional YouTuber is so incredibly high. Because there's so much competition, or what is it? No, because, well, that and AdSense is so low. So if you take a look at... So you need a lot of views, you're saying, to make any money. Yeah, so if you look at, like, the top... If you go to the very top 3% of professional YouTubers mm-hmm. and you go to the very bottom of that 3%, mm-hmm. the average YouTuber at that level is only making $17,000 a year. And that's a, if they're doing it full time? Yeah. Wow. That's that's poverty. It's pretty low. Yeah. That's like food stamp uh, salary. Yeah. yeah. So when people decide to be a professional YouTuber, what they really need to do is have some sort of business associated 
with whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. They need to know how to do brand sponsorships. They need to know how to sell courses. They need to know how to like produce merch. They need to figure out how, how do you make money to support you being a YouTuber? Yeah. So it's kind of like the music industry, right? Like musicians have pretty much just given up on making money off of the music itself, but they Mm -hmm. found like, um, ways around around their music to make money off of the the merch or the concert sales or other things that they appearances or i don't know yeah because nobody buys albums anymore right so it's almost like the music has become the advertising the for for the other things they can sell you yeah so uh there's a artist by the name of mc lars Mm -hmm. who put out this song that basically talks about how this entire shift happened where we were selling records and then MTV happened, right? And then MTV became the promotional device to push uh, tapes and CDs. And then Napster happened. Ooh, and Na- then Napster is a, a big, big contributor Lime, to yeah, this. Yeah. LimeWire, Napster, you know, any yeah. sort of torrent site. Yeah. And then people, all these artists like, oh man, how do I how do I make a living if everybody is downloading my music? Mm-hmm. But on the other side, if you were not a famous artist and this was the best way for people to discover your art to discover yeah. your your content. Because say you were, you know, you were a rock band, right? And you might have a song that sounds very much like it. So you knew that everybody who liked, say, Metallica would like your music, but no one's ever heard of you. You might sneak it into the database of like downloadable content, label it as Metallica music, and then let people download it for free. And then just put a disclaimer at the end, be like, hey, this wasn't Metallica. This is actually the band, blah, blah, blah. You know, you should check us out on, you know, MySpace. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it it was definitely more helpful to the up and comers. But I can say I've spent thousands of dollars on going to shows and music festivals just to see artists that honestly I didn't pay for their music um initially, but I would have never even heard of them if I hadn't have acquired the music that way. Like they've just it would have never it would have never happened. Are, would, are you buying their music or are you streaming their music? Well, I mean, like initially back when Napster and LimeWire were a thing, you know, okay. just like everyone else, like I was downloading everything illegally and listening to all these artists that I'd never heard of. And that turned me on to wanting to go see them in, live, right? And so like I supported them probably ten times more through the merch and the and the concert sales. You know, I think I'm thinking back to being a teenager. I remember listening to like the 30 second samples on itunes the <laughs> itunes store and being like oh i gotta like that and it's like even just getting i just think that music slowly became more of like an advertisement for like do you like to, to building a fan base mm-hmm. and i don't know how transferable that is to to vr but i um, i think it's i think it's incredibly transferable yeah uh so like demo demo games or what no 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 so like we basically took a product and we turned it into a service okay so what's to stop us from taking VR as a product, turning it into to a service, right? Mm-hmm. So you might, you know, go to a, a virtual reality concert, but, you know, there's ads everywhere and that's how the shows are being paid for. Uh, or you might, you know, go the product route where it's, hey, I'm going to pay to download, um, say, Cookie Monsters, you know, independent uh music experience where i can download it i can go into it in vr uh there's a whole performance done kind of like uh travis scott in fortnite would have done visually uh and then 
with me buying the experience, I get his album for free. Oh. Yeah. That's a creative way to go about it. Yeah. Okay. That's actually something my uh my studio's looking at doing right now. Uh we just hired a CTO and we're working on music venue VR platforms. Interesting. Do you create totally new um venues from scratch or are they modeled off of places that already exist like red rocks or like the no, no, no. we Theater. would we would get very much more like astral plane oh, okay <laughs> i actually think that maybe you should also consider recreating a few of like the really popular spots in america because i think that there would be um the novelty of getting to attend your favorite music venue in a virtual space especially during covid where we can't use them i think there's a huge market for that so like the two the two biggest uh music venues in at least in the northwest area of, of the states uh that i know of is like the gorge amphitheater which is where paradiso and a lot of other music festivals mm-hmm. have happened and this whole year it's been canceled you can't go to any of them yeah but like it's most it's like going to the grand canyon and having a stage at the end it's like of the before you fall off the cliff it's just like a beautiful place or then like red rocks over in colorado it's just like these are beautiful venues that i think like if you could attend them like a virtual version of them and then have mm-hmm. artists perform there i think that some i think in some ways that would probably be more popular than a totally new it, virtual place it would, it would make sense for say if paradiso had a vr experience like then we might go that route okay. but if we're doing a, a concert experience with an individual artist Mm -hmm. we're going to build those stages and those assets and to basically match the persona of the artist okay now you know it's you know this is this is great like relative to what we're talking about right now um one of the things that i came across when i was looking up alt space alt space right so like this year burning man didn't happen and so all the people that usually would go to burning man a lot of them they recreated what it's like to go to burning man I, I thought they did it in the wave. What do you mean? Oh, there's another experience called uh, the wave. Well, maybe they deviated and there's two different oh, two maybe. different um, options. But the playa, I guess where everyone meets, they like a lot of these like sets were recreated and the people they they change you know they dress up the way they were dressed and they had a lot of workshops and concerts and I missed this completely. I would have loved to attend this, but I didn't get to didn't get to go. But um, what's the the wave? Uh, the wave is a VR music experience. Uh, mm. So like a lot of really big uh, performances have been done, including like Lindsey Sterling, Sterling, The Weeknd. Uh, no, oh, there's others. that multiverse term. Huh. Meta- metaverse? metaverse. Metaverse. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I just was connecting the dots and it sounded kind of similar. Something else that I was... Uh, that caught my eye when I was looking through your your website was the a three sixty experience you did being in outer space. Can we? Oh, can you talk about what, uh, Journey talk VR? About that? Yeah, uh, Journey VR was my very first three sixty animated experience ever. Okay, and I was just diving into VR. It's a, it's incredible. Can I just say it's incredible? This is the first thing that you did. Like it, it oh, definitely looks like it should have been. One of the more recent things. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Uh, So basically what had happened was I jumped into the VR industry. I quit my job as an art director. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I already had a technical background in motion graphics and some 3D. And 
I was, I got into a conversation with a event called Seattle Fashion Week and they were like, Hey, we really want VR or 360 video to be part of our offering for when people come to the show. I was like, that's great. When is it? They said it's in 30 days. So you have 28 days to get an experience together. I was like, wow, that is not a lot of time. I'm not sure what I can put together. And so I, every single day for like 12 hours, I was working to get Journey VR put together. So how how much time did you put into this? (sighs) A lot more than I care to mention. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this was an entire month of work for this how about nine minute experience? Nine minute experience. Uh, how long did it take to render? Seventy to ninety hours. Oh wow! Yeah, and this this wasn't done in like C forty. This was straight out of After Effects. Oh okay. And I and was, that's where I saw it because I went to one of the After Effects meetup meetups in in Fremont. I think at the Adobe building and i think i saw a demo of this like a while back and i was like wow that's so cool it was probably when i first uh released it to everybody Mm -hmm. because because the day that it got released um on steam was the same day that um i was demoing it at the adobe building in fremont uh for after effects seattle and I did everything myself except uh, the music that was done by Adrian Ladelia of okay. Classy Skeleton Time. Now, I hate to break it to you, but I feel like you are missing something. There, I don't see any aliens, so I'm kind of disappointed. that. I mean, what can you get in 28 <laughs> days? <laughs> I want to see a maybe little UFO are, go by. Maybe you are the alien. Yeah. But the evolution for like the release for this is kind of interesting because I did it for Seattle Fashion Week and then... People from SIF saw it, the Seattle International Film Festival, mm. and they were doing their first uh, 360 video and VR segment at the festival. And they were like, hey, you should submit this. So I did. And it became an official selection for SIF. Oh, that's awesome. And then somebody at Steam saw it and was like, hey, uh, we're doing a 360 video rental program on Steam. Uh, we're trying to get artists and experiences put together. You should you should put this on there. And I did, and it was the number one 360 video rental for 30 days. That's awesome. Right? So I think something that is standing out to me as you tell me about the process of how this was discovered is that you never know exactly how one thing is going to lead to another you just have to like make sure you put your content content out there and like and be open to like saying yes to new experiences and new opportunities like you started off like here you put out this thing and then like one person sees it and then it gets shared by another group and then another like it's just like like but you didn't see the end goal in mind of like how it was going to develop of course not yeah no so uh, this and this is true for you know any field. Um, do as many things as possible. Fail fast. Yeah. Learn from your failures. Pivot and then go again. I think I saw something on your Instagram or Twitter, or some picture that said like, "Make a hundred bad posts before you ask for a follower." Is that kind of similar to what you're saying right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, so, make, like fail fast. Like make a lot of mistakes so that like you can learn from them. And so any professional YouTuber. Um, whenever people are like, I want to be a professional YouTuber. What do I do? How do I gain followers? And I'm mm-hmm. like, make a hundred videos yeah. of you just learning the process before asking for a single follower. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, that's too much work. I'm like, then you don't have it in you to be a YouTuber. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like the average, the average YouTube channel with a thousand 
followers has a hundred videos. But you get these kids who are, you know, see David Dobrik and PewDiePie and Mr. Beast, and they fail to understand like those channels, those people were content creators for a very long time before they became PewDiePie. It didn't happen Mr. overnight, right? No, so like the first like seven years of the Mr. Beast channel, he had like two thousand subscribers. Yeah. Like nobody watched him. And then he finally started to gain traction. Uh, Daryl Leaves in the Night Company got a hold of him and was like, hey, we're starting this company. We really think you're going to blow up. And then that's when he became Mr. Beast. If you look at the eventual progression for PewDiePie before he became PewDiePie, there was a long time where he was doing horror games and very few people were watching him. It was a slow progression. So anytime, you know, people tell me I want to be a professional YouTuber, I tell them it's a 10-year journey before you get anywhere. Wow. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah, and I think maybe people get into it, they're not really expecting it to be that work. It's all fun and games and just money and fame and lots of people paying attention to that. No, no, it's it's you wondering how you're going to be able to pay your bills some month. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, how do I, you know, work with everybody? How do I continuously create content as like a vlogger through COVID? I mean, reality gets in the way of your goals, but those who are really meant to be able to do it at a high level for a long time, those are the people who stick with it. So we've talked about um, things that you worked on in the past. Why don't you tell me about like some of the projects you're working on now? Uh, studio Cap'n uh, is a content, XR content and animation studio. So we take clients who need like explainer videos or 360 videos um, we just got into the music space. We released a digital show package for an artist by the name of Trip Street, which was a lot of fun to work on. Uh, and we just hired a CTO um, at the company. And her and I have been actively trying to build a VR music platform. Oh, wow. So, and we're getting to a place where we're going to be able to start showing people what we've been working on. Okay. When do you when do you think something like that's gonna launch? Give us a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's soon. Yeah. So it's it's all about like creating those demos, creating those prototypes, and then getting people with the money into place so we can fund making the rest of it. Mm. So it it takes a lot of money and time to develop VR platforms. That's the truth of it. Because it's it's a video game. Video games are really expensive to make. And when you're trying to solve a problem such as how do you perform as a music artist in, you know, with COVID when nobody can be within six feet of each other, everybody has to wear masks, people aren't spending money to go to shows anymore because of it. How do you fix those problems? Yeah. Well, this is kind of our solution to that problem. I, th I think it's something that it's very much needed at this time because you know people are getting really antsy and they're starting to do renegades which is they're just doing it anyway and i think that's contributing to the the spread of covid people just saying i don't care anymore i'm just going to do it because you can't can't stay cooped up for this long so mm -hmm. i think the more the more opportunities there are available for people to um for people to get out there and uh get that at least even if it's in a virtual arena just to be able to get out there i think you know, you're providing something that's really valuable to society. So that's, mm -hmm. that's great. Um, what about, um, what other projects can you tell me about? 
Uh, everything else is That's under the... NDA. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of expected that. I kind of expected that. Um, it would be kind of difficult for you to share things that are like up and coming, but yeah. but it's exciting that like you've got a lot of things I, in the works. I and... got a Flappy Bird 360 video that should be launching in the next week. <laughs> Flappy Bird. So that's the game that that is the game that um, everybody was addicted to for like a summer three it, years ago. It, it was so addict. It was so addictive that it had the guy the creator took it off the iTunes the Apple store because yeah, he was he felt <laughs> he felt bad about it right yeah didn't he make like a quarter million dollars or something and then he was like oh my god this is too good this is too addictive yeah. i got to take it down yeah and then people were selling their cell phones with it on there for tens of thousands of dollars oh my god i mean that's what kids are doing right now with uh Fortnite right what are they doing Oh, because of the the Apple lawsuit. Um, because Apple and Fortnite are going through like lawsuit legal battles. So the um, basically Fortnite is taken off of the the iTunes Store, right? Um, yes, because they were tr- they were trying to like monetize inside of the app, and the, and Apple wants them to monetize outside of the app. Is it something like that? I I, I think it was Fortnite basically going, hey, um, you know, you could download Fortnite, or you could use this roundabout way and download it directly from the website Mm -hmm. that way we don't have to pay 30 percent to apple Mm. so so it's just fighting over money is basically what's going on it is yeah but Fortnite had the best rebuttal ever they so there's this very famous apple commercial from the 80s and it's everybody is basically sitting down it's just it's very orwellian and somebody runs up and throws like a tv or a computer or something through this giant monitor of a talking head Mm -hmm. and it takes everybody out of this like trance that they're in it's like apple and it's basically talking about how apple is the new thing that's taking down the corporate giants like it's cool to be part of apple Mm -hmm. and then Apple is now so big that they like become the thing they hate. Well, that that's basically what they were um, saying it to. But Fortnite made a parody version of that with their own characters, taking down Apple as if they were the big bad authority. Mm. I'm just like, man, that's that's too perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about you know think projects that you've worked on, and um, I was interested from your. You have a lot of experience with VR. I was just thought it'd be fun to talk to you about like what are some of your favorite VR experiences that uh, were not something that you made yourself. Like, what would you recommend to somebody out there that doesn't have a lot of experience with VR? Like, what? What? Say uh, they get a headset today. Like, what would you say they should go check out? Um, if you're over sixteen or or eighteen, yeah, uh, I would say go play accounting. Accounting. That is one of my favorite experiences ever. Okay. Uh, it was made by Justin Roiland, who created Rick and Morty. Yeah. I... And a company called Crow Crow Crows. And it's hilarious. It doesn't sound like it would be fun, but because of who made it, I, bu- I know that it is. It, it's, it's basically, um, it's a puzzle solving game that is just gruesome and horrific and hilarious I think and I, I think I've been through this before. It's it's pretty weird. Just full I, disclosure. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Uh, so this um, 
I got squash tendo. Uh, I would say alt space is one of my favorite experiences. High fidelity is another really good experience. If you're into, you know, custom creating things, uh, I would say Beat Saber is the closest thing we have to the killer app. Mm-hmm. But I think that's like one of the most popular uh, VR experiences that I've I've seen, right? Just because of the the ability to play any song and it's just got really good um, replayability value to it. Uh, well, they're like set packs and then there's like an entire modification community. That uh, where they make it, their own. Yeah. This so, is very similar to Dance Dance Revolution where there's set packs, but then people, there's a whole community of people who make their own charts to any song is there really mm-hmm. yeah yeah same I, thing you're gonna have to let me play your uh dance dance revolution machine before i oh off. sure <laughs> sure that'd be cool do you got the butterfly song um yes like i'm pretty sure i have the butterfly song. <laughs> <laughs> it's on there yeah so like uh the anime girl that we're looking at right now that is not part of the standard game that is a mod <laughs> oh, okay is it she's vtubing they are vtubing yeah vtubing Man, the hair dynamics on it are amazing, though. Look at this guy. He's a, uh, he's this, a, per, this person is definitely using Liv. <laughs> what's that? Uh, Liv is a... Um, it's basically a green screen platform for that was made specifically for Beat Saber. Okay. To basically put people inside of the level. Wow. That's amazing. So Beat Saber... Um, I think another game that I was reading about that's really popular that I haven't had a chance to play is the, the Half-Life experience. Oh, Alex. Alex, yeah. I, I've been I, wanting I to check love that out. Alex. It's it's so much fun. Yeah. I was so when I was at uh SIF, um, if you asked a question during the Steam panel, Valve would actually give you a family and friends card. And I didn't realize it, but when you enter it into your account, it gives you all of their games for life. Oh, cool. So anytime that Valve comes out with like a Team Fortress or a Half Life game, I now get it for free. Oh, so you have this in your library. Yeah, it just showed up one day. I was like, what? Nice. Right? It's fun. It's also kind of horrifying to play it inside of uh, a VR VR. world. Because you're like moving dead bodies and you're like trying to get aliens off your face. Oh, Jesus. You're you're talking with people who are like mutated. It's it's a lot of fun, though. Like you can move things with your mind, basically, with these gravity gauntlets. I think a lot of people were really bummed out about this game because there was such a demand for Half-Life 3 for over a decade. And then when they finally came out with it... It was VR only. It was VR only. And, a lot, and you know, it's great for the people who have VR headsets. But then, you know, if you didn't have it, then it's kind of like you didn't... A lot of people who probably would have loved to experience Half-Life 3 or Half-Life Alex still haven't because of that. And I just... I think that gets into a question about, like, when can we make sure that VR is more accessible for everyone... But hopefully, you know, as the cost continues to come down and it'll get, become more accessible. I think another thing that was making it less accessible for people is that you needed like a really fancy, expensive computer to run everything. And now mm-hmm. it's like a lot of the headsets are all inclusive and they're becoming wireless. You don't need to have wires everywhere and a big space. And I think it's just the, a lot of the obstacles are starting to disappear, right? Yeah. And, for, you know, we're just going to continuously get better and better headsets. As it evolves. Yeah. So if you were trying to, if you're trying to sell somebody on getting a VR headset uh, that ha- doesn't have one, like how, what would your, your, your pitch be for um, why you should have one? I would ask them what they need it for. Yeah. Like, like what, what are your interests? Mm-hmm. And if they go, Hey, um, you know, I'm, 
I'm a multilinguist for school. I love learning new languages. Uh, it's part of my education. How will VR benefit me, for instance? Mm-hmm. And with that, I would say, well, if you learn a language in VR, you'll learn it 30% faster. Wow. Why yeah. is that? Uh, so you have this part of the brain called the hippocampus, and it's responsible for taking your short-term memory and converting it into long-term memory. And what they found out is inside of that part of the brain, you have what are called GPS cells. And your GPS cells are your evolutionary response to being able to find your way back to your tribe or your cave or your house or your hut, whatever. So like when you leave your house, they fire off when you get to the edge of the block. They fire off when you get to work. They fire off so you can find your way home back at the end of the day, right? Well, um, this university uh, did a study with mice. And they put this mouse in a maze, and they put another one in a digital version of the exact same maze when they were researching GPS cells. And what they found out was GPS cells inside the virtual environment will fire off more frequently and randomly Mm. because as humans, we're not used to being inside of digital environments yet. We haven't evolved to that point, right? So basically, um, with, with that research being done, what they found out is you're going to retain information inside of virtual reality a lot more than in the real world. That's why people will be like, I remember everything I did inside of VR, but I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Hmm. And so the, the experience is a lot stickier. It sticks to your, sticks to your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, train people, VR is the way to do it. Also, say you're uh, a manufacturing for computer parts, you mm-hmm. know, train people inside of VR and they'll, you know, be less likely to, you know, mess up in the long run and they won't damage the components yeah, that, I, that you might, you know, run into. Yeah, I read that it's it's good for developing motor muscle memory and it also provides like a safe environment where you can fail over and over again without any repercussions. So like these are definitely valuable use cases for VR, right? Uh, it's also great if you have, say, like uh, PTSD. So one of the um, first things I did when I tried to enter the VR industry is I volunteer for CFX, which to me back in the day was, hey, it's going to be a bunch of really cool video games Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever else at this event. I'm going to go volunteer. I'm going to get to go try them and I'll help people get into those experiences. And when I got there, it was six very distinct experiences by immersive journalist Nani Di La Pena who is this immersive journalist. She'd been a journalist for about 20 years. And then once the technology became available, she started working on these very social enlightening um, experiences. So like there was an experience where you put on not just the headset, but a rumble pack and you were a small child in Syria and the U.S. drops bombs on your village and you can feel what basically how the ground shakes in your like chest. Like what they would experience yeah. when that happened. There was a domestic abuse experience where the audio was from a real 911 call. So what you're hearing was actually happening to somebody. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying. Yeah. Uh, you were There was a 360 video experience where you were a woman going to Planned Parenthood for an abortion. I've done this one. 
Have you? Yes, I did this one, and I remember thinking I would have never had an experience in my life where I would have gotten to know what it's like for a woman to have to deal with like the the protesters outside of the right. Planned Parenthood place, or dealing with like the the awkward conversation with the doctor. Like this is something like as a man I'd never experienced, but it's like I'm developing so much empathy for women who do have to go through this. It's like these VR experiences, they have the, a lot of power to be able to create empathy for someone who would have never developed that empathy. One of the big takeaways from when I was at the event was I would get these very like bros would come in and they would be like, oh, VR games is so amazing. And then, you know, what's up, dude? And then they'd go through the experiences and then they'd be like, women are people too. I need to call my mom. <laughs> So those experiences are incredibly powerful. I don't recommend doing all of them one after another yeah, because it will mess with you and just break you down. Emotionally draining. Yeah. You need time to like recover after, Mm -hmm. you know, doing that. But going through those, going through those experiences, I think are great because it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's raising your empathy level to what else is out there. And it's probably helping change your worldview for the better. I think that maybe that's one of the biggest misconceptions about VR. It's it's not just for video games. It's for experiences, which is kind of like a catch-all term for like, it could be a lot of things, you know? Yeah. Right. I think that's maybe something that requires more education in society for people to understand that, you know, you these headsets can be ways to experience what it's like to be someone else. Yeah. And, and that can, it's in some ways that is better than a game. It's, it's so funny to me because the longest time there was all this research that suggested that video games made you angry and violent. And yeah, you know, video games might piss you off every once in a while, but it's not going to cause you to go out and like kill somebody. There was actually several studies done where people who, where we're more likely to like commit school shootings actually play less video games Mm. than the average person. So interesting. So is the implication being that maybe if they had an outlet, maybe it wouldn't have happened? Yeah, that's the uh, correlation that it points to. Hmm. Yeah, that just goes to show you that like a lot of people who take a a public stance on like, you know, violent video games cause violence, they are basing it just off of their like baseless opinion. It's it's, like, it's not based on science. Their, their predisposition to whatever the narrative is that they're trying to push. Yeah. Yeah. Usually we get things that are based off of like religion mm-hmm. that probably shouldn't be based on religion. Yeah. Um, Welcome versus- to America. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's a thing. Like I like I don't want to talk politics on your uh yeah on your show but I I feel like we can do better man. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, uh pivoting for a second, you used to be a social media creative director and so you know, you know a decent amount about social media, making things go viral and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you call yourself a social media futurist and I was wanting to know why. Um well, no, I mean, I understand it. I think that you're very forward thinking and you're always looking to see like, what's the new, you're, you're very, you're ahead of the curve in everything. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that you would want to use that title. But um, I'm interested in like what you think the future of social media is as a social media future is. Uh, I, so it's my job to basically look at the current trends and kind of estimate where we're going and then basically help educate everybody on how to get to the next evolution of social social media, which for us would be, say, the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but it's also my job to take a look at different social media cycles. So like um, one of the big cycles we tend to look at is the uh, newcomer strategy, which is say everybody's using MySpace, right? And then it ages out a little. And then everybody is like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my dad uses MySpace. I'm going to use Facebook, mm-hmm. right? And then it ages out a little. And then the next generation comes in. It was like, yeah, you know, my grandma uses Facebook. Yeah. So I'm going to use Instagram. Or, or right? TikTok or something. Or, yeah. yeah. So like TikTok is just the next step away from, say, Instagram, even though a lot of people are using it. Yeah. So every generation... They pick something new. It evolves a little bit more down the road. Mm-hmm. And basically what's going to happen is new companies are going to show up. They'll either hit critical mass or they'll die out. And the ones that die out will usually either go bankrupt or they'll get bought out by some other company. And that's exactly what happened with Vine and Twitter. And then Vine went away. And it was like, okay, so where do we get our short form me- media, right? Musically became a thing, right? It had a lot of followers. Um, Musical.ly couldn't keep up monetarily. And then so ByteDance bought them and converted all their users to TikTokers. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's this ever-evolving landscape in social media. And basically, it's my job to, as a public speaker and an educator and a content creator myself, to basically go, hey, this is where everybody should probably go because I see a lot of potential. And my guess is as great as everybody's because, you know, it's a free market, right? But, you know, let's try to get a timeline on things. Let's try to make sure that nobody's sticking with a single social media platform Mm -hmm. because, you know, if you put all your bets your eggs into one basket, say like Viners did, you know, Vine goes away, you lose your entire following. And the people that survived are the ones that migrated to say Facebook and YouTube. Mm -hmm. What about people who use Twitch though? My understanding is that aren't they under some kind of like contract where they're not allowed to share things, share their stream or something? I don't know. Like, like restream.io. I was looking into that and I think someone was saying that like if you're on Twitch you're not supposed to share in real time your stream to other pl- like they try to tell you you have to stream only here I don't know if they enforce it though I'm not sure I'm I don't think they enforce it okay. at all okay uh, I, I do know that your stream is downloadable mm. and then you can chop it up and put it onto other platforms which is what you should be doing anyway I see um, on my on my website um, I have a free ebook called Get Serious About Social Media on um, hightechinfluencer.com. And you don't need to use uh, an email to download it, not yet. Um, we're going to make that a thing very soon. Um, but basically, that ebook shows you how to take one piece of content, split it up, and then put it across everything else social media-wise. So basically how that works is you do a show like this, right? And you might take the video and you might place it onto um, IGTV and you might place it onto, man, my mask is falling apart on me. (laughs) It's making my nose super itchy. Uh, So you might take that video, you might put it onto Facebook, you might put it onto IGTV, you might clip it out and put it onto TikTok and Instagram. And make sure you take the post and you put it into a Medium article with all your show notes for that you took. So, like, at 
you know, minute 43, we talked about this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are all the links. You know, you take that, you put it into a Medium article, you copy it, you put it into Tumblr, and you copy that and you put it into LinkedIn because it's uh, a business, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, related to people who might want to grow their social media and marketing on, you know, LinkedIn. So. so just not putting all your eggs in one basket is really important. To, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you want to be everywhere, anywhere, forever. 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 <laughs> so um, so when you say, back to the original question of like the future of social media is that it's ever evolving and that each newer generation wants to deviate from the older generations and have their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other uh, talking points that you'd like to make around uh like what you've seen off into the distance of what's um, going to happen. I like think, one of the things that I've been seeing is like, it hasn't Facebook been trying to like make an aspect of Facebook a virtual reality experience? Yeah, that's I've, that's Horizons. Yes, yeah, so I, I've seen some examples and, of that. Do you and think you now need a, a Facebook login to use the Oculus? Which so a lot of people are pissed about. Right? A lot of people are pissed about that. Yeah, but so, I mean, I can't say. I mean, after Zuckerberg bought them, it's, it, can you really be surprised? Of course, everyone could know that's what's going to happen. It's, you know, just, it's the name of the game. They're trying to take everything, put it into one place to be like a universal marketplace for, mm-hmm. for Facebook's whole thing is they don't, they want to be the internet. They want to be the be all, end all. Everything. And they don't want other people to like migrate off their sites. Okay. That's why if you put a link inside of Facebook, it's w- less likely to get seen than just a native post. Yeah. Like a, like a YouTube link, they'll punish you for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's a really good, you know, business strategy for them. It's not great for the creator, which they should be taking into account though. So I don't know. Look Zuck, at Zuck's uh, gonna look, Zuck. Look, yeah, Jeez. Zuck. So look at cycles. You know, look to the metaverse. You know, I think 360 videos are going to be more of an increased thing as the technology gets better. Because 360 mm-hmm. cameras, if you're not doing it in, say, like uh, a game engine or a 3D program, they look really blurry mm-hmm. all the time. So we need better quality 360 cameras before those take off. Mm. And I actually posed a question to one of the YouTube groups I was in. I was like, so what's preventing you guys from doing 360 video? And somebody went, nobody watches them. They're annoying and I hate them. And I was like, dude, I got over 10 million views off of it. What's your channel? I checked it. He was at like 1,200. Yeah. I'm like, man, I... I don't know. I don't know how it's no how where all these views are coming if nobody's watching it. Yeah, I mean, he probably needs to work on one of those four things you were talking about. Oh, the, probably. Right? Yeah, probably the marketing. I think marketing is where most people need help because it's just maybe they just don't know where to put it and who to connect it with the the content they've created, or maybe it's the content itself. I don't know. I mean, it's it's easy. Just Mixture. create a an extra Twitter account that's relatable to your main account, and yeah. start sending your link out to different news outlets trying to get it to get them to cover it yeah but i think i think some people just don't even understand like they're not thinking that way and you are obviously (laughs) more people need to think that way that's that 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 these that um the media is accessible to to help them spread a message that you can use them and they can use you kind of thing i guess yeah um but 
I don't know. I've run out of questions. I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk yes, to me. My pleasure. I, I love educating. So, yeah, I, I I feel like I've learned a lot and seen a lot of really cool experiences that you've gotten to work on. I know that you said that uh, if people want to connect with you, they can follow you on Twitter at uh, Cap and Design mm -hmm. at Cap and Design. That's correct. And uh, is there any anything else you'd like um, to leave our our viewers with? I mean, I'm I'm free to come and speak to a uh, like schools, college campuses, uh, businesses about, you know, marketing the future of social media. Uh, I have a speaker website called hightechinfluencer.com. If you need services for XR content creation or animation, I have my company, Studio Cap'n. Uh, great team of people. I love working with everybody. And we've done a lot of really cool creative things. Yep, that's my my amazing team. There Topher is. Welsh, Audrey Lane. I, I know Topher's a great guy. I know him. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I'd shake your hand, but COVID, so... Gonna... You want to you do an elbow? Ebola elbow. Oh, well, uh, it was close enough. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Later, everyone. Bye, guys. <laughs>